Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 463rd show is Dr. Nicholas Longridge, Senior Lecturer in Evolutionary Biology at the University of Bath, who will be talking to us about an article he published titled How a Handful of Prehistoric Genesis Caused Humanity's Technological Revolution. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, John. Nick, one of the things that we see in North America with regard to stone tools over time is either like improvements or refinements, if you will, over time in the design of those tools. Is it reasonable to assume that the same things went on in other parts of the world? Yeah, it, it seems like in different places in the world, you know, spear points or arrowheads, for example, become much more complicated over time, and it happens to different degrees or in different ways. And so you'll see like some really beautiful arrowheads and spear points at all in, appearing in, say, Europe or North Africa. And what's kind of interesting there is that in other places it, it remains relatively simple. So the stone, the stone arrowheads used by, say, like the Bushmen or the Hodsabayer are, are much more primitive-looking things. And then in North America, again, you see the evolution of these, these beautiful. Clovis points that are, that are really, really remarkable. Um, one interesting implication of that is that a lot of these really simple stone tools don't look like anything. They're really hard to recognize. And, uh, you know, it may be that we're not recognizing some of these very early stone tools in North America because they just don't look like stone tools. They're so primitive. Okay. Hmm. Terry. Yeah. Nick, how do we know that technology has been invented earlier in one area, but maybe invented later in another as opposed to being spread through trade or war. I mean, how do we know that it didn't develop simultaneously in two different areas at different times? Yeah, I think it, it kind of comes down to the, the distribution, the patterns of distribution. So independent evolution of a technology, you'd see the technology appear in one place, you'd see it appear in another place, and you wouldn't see it anywhere in between. So, you know, for pottery, for example, you would have pottery in North America, you have pottery in, in kind of the old world, but you wouldn't see any pottery up in Alaska. And that would imply that pottery has been independently evolved in, in several places. Uh, whereas, for example, with the bow, you have a pattern where arrowheads appear in South Africa, then they appear in East Africa, then they appear in, in Asia, then they appear in Europe. And so it's that sequential pattern of appearance that tells you that uh, technology is dispersing. It goes from one place to it's, you can kind of see it creeping like a, like a mold spreading across a piece of bread or something like that, spreading across the world. And obviously this is hugely dependent on having a good archaeological record. And if you don't have that record, you can't make that inference. But for certain things that are fairly recognizable, like spear points and arrowheads, we're able to track this. In other cases, you know, we just don't have the archaeological record to recognize, you know, when and where things are being invented. Uh, the spear itself, the first spears are made entirely out of wood. And so we have a handful of spears uh, in one place in Europe, and we don't know, you know, where do they appear, you know, what is the pattern of appearance of the spear, the wooden spear elsewhere. We just don't know. Uh, you know, or a wooden club. We have, I think there's, there's one good wooden club known from Africa. So we don't really, we can't really make any inferences about that. Okay. Um, when you you mentioned earlier, um, when we were talking about the show, uh, the hunter gatherer societies, and yet 
you also stated yeah. that there are still some hunter-gatherer societies in our world today. Uh, in recent weeks, um, I should say years, the Sentinelese, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, off the yeah. coast of India, um, they are probably one of the more renowned, isolated, protected hunter-gatherer communities in, in our world. Uh, and yet they yeah. noted having the uh, bows and arrows with the arrowheads. Uh, and yet, from what I've read, they haven't really had contact with individuals uh, in the outside world for thousands of years. So is there? do we still turn to these societies, the hunter-gatherers, to try and piece together some of the missing um, facts of, that would happen thousands of years ago? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, in some ways... I mean, there are aspects of these societies that are incredibly conservative, and there are aspects that are less conservative. And so, in some ways, these these cultures are probably, there are customs, for example, and traditions and technologies shared by the, the Hadza in Tanzania and the Bushmen in South Africa. And it's entirely possible that these behaviors go all the way back to 250,000 years ago, when the first humans were around. So, like, uh, division of labor between men and women, you know, men hunting and women gathering, that's common in both these societies and, you know, certain aspects of, you know, the way they divide the meat up after a kill, uh, certain aspects of, you know, how marriage is handled. Some of these things might be very recent. I mean, very ancient. On, on the other hand, we do know that technology spreads between them. So like the bow, for example, the bow, we can track, we can watch that thing showing up. So you might look at a modern society like the Bushmen or the Hadza Bay and say, oh, well, they've got bows. Those must have been around there forever. But we know from the archaeological record that they're, they're a much more recent invention. And so, yeah, in some ways, these societies are very conservative. In other ways, if they, if they spot a cool invention, they'll pick it up. And so you can't assume they've always been doing it that way. But some of their, some of their behaviors might be quite ancient. Okay. Ed? Yeah, I want to go back to my previous question. You've kind of covered it. Um, yeah. But the, that, that some places in the world were more receptive or innovative uh, regarding technology than others. Um, and so we could have cultural, resi cultural resistance. Um, and is, is the change in pa trade patterns, uh, a changing trade pattern, could that, could that also be part of it? That perhaps some of these cultures, just for whatever reason, kind of got bypassed as things changed and may never have been exposed yeah. Well, if you look at, say, the, the technology of the Australian Aborigines, uh, they, never, they never had the bow. Uh, they, they, kept, they used spear throwers. And, and that's, that's a technology we don't really know its history very well because it doesn't preserve very well. We have a hard time telling apart thrown spears and ones launched with an atlatl. Uh, so we, it's possibly invented the atlatl independently of the people in Europe. It's possibly brought it into Australia. But basically... They had spears, they had spear throwers, they had throwing sticks, which they modified into boomerangs, but they never adopted the bow. And it's, it just seems that their isolation kind of prevented that. Now, it's entirely possible that, you know, maybe a few people kind of, you know, crossed from Asia and, you know, kind of got to the, the northern coast of Australia, and they had bows, and for whatever reason, the Australian Aborigines simply weren't interested in them. Because there are other things that were imported, like dogs, for example, uh, were brought into Australia by, by trade. Uh, but, yeah, they remain very isolated. They're isolated by water. It's an island continent. And so, to a large degree, their technology didn't evolve to the same degree that, say, in the Middle East it did. Or, uh, say, you know, in Mexico or something, which is, you know, much more, there's a much, connected to a much larger range of land masses. They can draw on innovations from around the world. 
was more isolated places. Maybe the technology didn't quite advance to the same at the same speed. Okay. We would like to thank our noted guest for the 463rd show, Dr. Nicholas Longridge, Senior Lecturer in Evolutionary Biology at the University of Bath, who talked about and talked to us about his article, How a Handful of Prehistoric Genesis Launched Humanity's Technological Revolution. The History Bus for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Brodus. You can listen to ROIs that's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the shows that's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALAHT2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.